2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times, I am your host Jay Taylor and as I like to remind you each and every week I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks and my company Taylor Hard Money Advisors is also in partnership with Chen Lin who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling and again if you'd like to sign up for Chen's letter you need to wait um, until the beginning of the next calendar quarter however you do need to put your name on a waiting list so that you will have priority Uh, When Chen adds new names and new subscribers to his list at the beginning of the quarter, go to miningstocks.com to sign up either for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, or Chen Lin's What Is Chen Buying? What Is Chen Selling? I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I want to thank, uh, suggest that you keep your questions uh, coming, questions, comments, criticisms, praises, whatever, uh, however you feel about the show. We'd like to hear from you. Send those along to questions at gmail.com. That's questions4taylor at gmail.com. Also, you can follow me at Twitter under the handle JTaylorMedia. do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Dynacor, uh, Gold Mines, Copper Bank Resources, and Cornerstone Capital. I would like to just mention that uh, Novo Resources came out with some really fantastic news this past week, Uh, some more really strong assays uh, that they've picked up, Uh, and this project, I think, is looking Better and better all the time. We are going to also uh, should be in the next couple of weeks or so receiving some uh, assays from the deep drill hole that uh, Dr. Henning and his company have has uh, that they've drilled recently. Uh, so anyway, this uh, we did have Dr. Quinton Henning on the show last week with us. I do hope to have him on again sometime in the near future. This is, I think, and as I've said, uh, the most exciting exploration story I've seen in a long time. So uh, Novo Resources is one I think you want to keep your eyes on. Also, uh, before we get into today's show, I'd like to comment just a little bit about an article that I saw and read this morning uh, on Greece, what is going on in Greece since the new elections. You know, after the uh, left uh, leaning or sort of radical left, as they're called, uh, won the election in Greece, uh, a lot of people figured, oh, well, you know, we'll, uh, we'll put the pressure on them and they'll come back and they'll forget their campaign promises uh, that was made by the, uh, by the new uh, leader of Greece. Well, it seems that that's not happening at all. It seems as though uh, this uh, gentleman that won the election is very is going to stick very much to the principles uh, upon which he was elected. And for that, I say congratulations. Do we have a, an honest politician, perhaps, a statesman, perhaps? Well, I'm certainly not ready to say I'm in agreement with his left-leaning uh, political views by any means. No, I'm not at all. But that somebody would actually stand up for what they believe Uh, is certainly a breath of fresh air in the world today. Um, I would just like to pass along some of the remarks, uh, actually, from the, uh, from, uh, this was taken uh, from the Telegraph, the United Kingdom newspaper, uh, and uh, the finance minister, uh, just a couple of quotes from him uh, in a speech that he made uh, yesterday, quote, Exit from the Euro does not even enter into our plans quite simply because the Euro is fragile. It is like a house of cards. If you pull away the Greek card, they all come down. Do we really want Europe to break apart? Anybody who is tempted to think it possible to amputate Greece strategically from Europe should be careful. It is very dangerous. Who would be hit after us? Portugal? What would happen to Italy? when it discovers that it is impossible to stay within the austerity straitjacket that is imposed on it. There are Italian officials, I won't say from which institution, who have applauded me to say they support us, but they can't say the truth because Italy is at risk of bankruptcy and they fear the consequences from Germany. A cloud of fear has been hanging over Europe over recent years. We are becoming worse than the Soviet Union. That was the remarks of the, uh, of the finance minister of the new Greek government. Well, of course, this has really uh, gotten the dander up of the, uh, of the Euro officials, um, and yet their deflationary conditions are causing interest costs to rise very much more rapidly uh, than GDP in countries like Italy, Spain, and Portugal. And that's automatically pushing public debt ratios ever higher, making the noose around the necks of those countries ever tighter. Uh, it was uh, Berkeley economist Barry Eichengreen, uh, he recently warned, he said that a Greek exit would be Lehman Brothers squared, setting off a calamitous chain reaction with worldwide uh, consequences. And um, so Syriza's gamble is that the, United, that the European authorities know this um, and so that they will uh, certainly have to back down so it is a game of chicken in essence that 's going on, but in a way you know you can understand that the that he may have this figured right the old saying goes that if you owe the bank a thousand dollars they uh, control you if you owe them a billion you control them and in some ways that 's sort of what seems to be taking place here now there are some concerns very much you know the new Greek government has talked about looking to the Soviet or to the Russian government for help and in fact uh, this same article was talking about about how uh, the European officials, the last thing they want is for Greece to leave the western NATO ambit and uh, a failed state spreading chaos across the Balkans and drifting into the arms of Russia. And yet it's very ironical in a way when you think about it. Russia failed because of its, uh, of its economics. It's a communist economics. It's statist economics. And yet, what is the West doing but following the same path of the, uh, of the, so- the old Soviet Union? Meantime, if you look at the financial structure of, of Russia, it's far superior to what the United States has and what the Western world has. Uh, Russia has virtually no debt, very, very little debt. To GDP, it is not a debtor nation as the United States is the largest debtor nation in the world. So it was President Eisenhower, I remember was when I was a lot younger, when he talked about, President Eisenhower talked about how nations don't fall from uh, exterior threats nearly as often, most often they fall as a result of, uh, of the debasement of their currency the, uh, and living beyond their means. Well, most certainly the Western world is living beyond its means in spades. And uh, I fear that we are very quickly facing a day of reckoning, a day of reckoning that will either, either um, you know, that has, may have some possibilities for those that see the trouble coming to prosper from it or as a result of their insights into what is happening. Uh, and so that's one of the things we want to talk about on today's show, in fact. I've named today's show, Adapting to and Profiting from the Collapse of the Federal Government Empire. And that is really coming from the text of Richard Mayberry's most recent newsletter, Uh, and we are going to be talking to Richard Mayberry at about a half past the hour. Uh, Michael Oliver will be joining me in just a few minutes, and I I really do value Michael's technical analysis very highly uh, because his work, not only does he provide very prolific uh, work, he covers many of the markets, Virtually all the markets that I'm interested in, uh, not necessarily the individual companies. I don't think he, he really follows individual companies, but uh, all of the markets that I'm that I watch most closely the precious metals markets, the, uh, the the equity markets, debt markets, and so forth, commodity markets. Michael really follows them, and he follows them really from a very unique perspective. His uh, momentum structural analysis provides ongoing guidance for various markets uh, that I that I find have. Been very prescient. He's he's really done very very well in terms of um, alerting his uh, subscribers to markets where they can uh, where they can make money, um, and uh, somehow his structural analysis sort of helps him to see when break when markets are breaking down at a fairly early uh, stage. So I do look forward to talking to Michael here. He's going to be with me uh, in just a couple of minutes from now as soon as we come back from the first break. But our main guest today will be Richard Mayberry. And uh, he brings with him an objective view of history that has enabled Richard to accurately predict the fall of the Soviet Union on a radio show with Rush Limbaugh back in 1987. Limbaugh really he roared with laughter and implied that Richard was really uh, off his rocker. But in 1989, of course, the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union collapsed. Now Richard is predicting the end of the U.S. empire, and he's suggesting that will occur most likely within 10 years. That either can be a frightening proposition, or if you're prepared for it, it may provide some significant investment opportunities. Well, we will explore the reasons why Richard thinks the end of the American empire is near and how he thinks alert investors can profit from it. So we do need to uh, take our break now. We're going to go to a commercial break. Uh, but don't go away because we'll be right back with Michael Oliver first, who will be talking to us about the precious metals markets and what is he seeing for gold. Gold's taken quite a hit over the last few trading days. Um, is, uh, is Michael turned bearish now? He had been quite bullish uh, before this. So uh, don't go away. We'll get Michael's views. And then after uh, Michael Oliver, we'll be talking to Richard Mayberry. Uh, who uh, brings a perspective, a historical perspective, a geopolitical perspective, uh, and also uh, a free market perspective, I think, that is very, very valuable. So don't go away. We'll be right back, first with Michael Oliver, and then later with Richard Mayberry.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek project, has an NI 43101 101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With 10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome back to
2: Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Michael J. Oliver. Michael, uh, now... Makes available his service uh, to, well, I would guess mostly accredited investors. It's not a, it's not an inexpensive service, but it's a reasonably priced service uh, for people who are active in the markets and and have a fair amount of money to invest, uh, hedge funds and, and wealthy individuals primarily, I suppose. Uh, but it's, it's uh, I think very reasonably priced uh, for for people. So uh, the best place to go is olivermsa.com. Oliver m is in mary s is in sam a is in albert.com for more information now uh, i'm not going to spend time reading michael's uh, bio because it is posted he's been with us before it is posted at the voice america uh, at my page on the voice america business channel so you can go there to catch up more on michael he certainly has had a rich background uh, in technical analysis and with some married uh, household name companies in the past and that he's done work for so welcome michael it's really glad i'm really good to have good to have you with me again today day. Glad to be back, Jay. Really good. Now, I would like to focus a little bit on on your missive on February 8th, this past Sunday. Uh, You headed it up Battlefield Conditions, and then you ended the letter by saying, we are moving towards violent times. Now, you know, Michael, I turn on CNBC and Bloomberg, and there isn't anything violent or anything we need to be worried about at all in America. Everything is under control with all those uh, PhDs from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale in charge of our well-being. So what are you seeing that causes you, what are you seeing from your technical analysis? You know, we, we have a lot of people on here that talk from, fundamental, from a fundamental point of view, uh, but it's hard to measure that. You really do a lot of work on a technical uh, basis that I think removes the emotions, removes the biases to a great extent. What are you seeing that, that causes you concern?
3: Well, by the violence, of course, I was referring to market violence. We, if, if you view assets as various categories, uh, I know there's an overwhelming bias uh, among investors to look at equities as the primary really? arena, which is an unjustified thing. I think it's... Uh, uh, over time, sophisticated investors have been taught the lesson repeatedly that there are other places to be. Uh, hence, commodities have been a, become a viable alternative over the last 20 years or so. There's the debt arena and there's the foreign exchange arena. Those four categories are all exchange-traded, either via futures, via individual stocks, or via ETFs. So that world is totally open up to the investors, long or short, in four asset categories. So the world is not just equities. But when yeah. you look at the developed market indexes, uh, Europe... FTSE, Japan, and us, uh, uh, omitting the emerging markets and omitting China, which is very violent this last year, to the upside. Basically, what you see is a yawn. Uh, The S&P has gone sideways for six months, oscillated several percent above or below its September price high, which was 2019, uh, and violently oscillated, but it's trendless, effectively. I think it's a topping process. In fact, I've declared it a top. Now that doesn't mean the top tick has necessarily been seen. I've left open the possibility you might see something a few percent above last year's high, which was twenty ninety three, and right now we're in the high twenty sixties. Uh, the uh, but basically, when you stand back and look at the developed market equity indexes, the the blue chip indexes of Europe and so forth, and here, it's a yawn. It looks steady. It looks uh, copacetic. You know, it, it doesn't uh, evoke violence. But when you look at the other three asset categories, it's been horrendous. We've had crash-like conditions in the debt area where, for example, the spread relationship between high-yield debt, risk-on debt, so-called, and low-yield or risk-off debt, namely treasury-type debt, there has been a total collapse in the spread relationship between high-yield and, for example, TLT, the ETF of uh, government 20-year debt and so forth, where it's been almost a 40% collapse in a matter of several quarters. That's horrendous. That's not minor. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that's neon-type, sign-type uh, uh, situation. And then at the same time, we have an oil collapse, probably the core, the most weighty commodity out there, to collapse more than 50% in a matter of six months with virtually no support on the way down. So there's a commodity asset category that, that's had a major collapse, uh, and then we have the euro uh, collapse in the 140 area down to 111 area very rapidly. And so you take the second largest reserve currency in the world and do that kind of thing to it. Uh, that's crash-like. That has repercussions uh, and, and effects that not necessarily will come out immediately, but over a short period of time. So when you have that going on in three of the large asset categories and you have this equity indexes yawning, you have to wonder whether they're going to be continuing to yawn. You know, as the next quarter or two goes by. I strongly suspect not. I think they're headed down. My annual momentum work on the S&P has argues to me fully that we are in a top. Uh, do not be uh, dissuaded by near-term action. It could be very deceitful. Uh, in fact, I think in that weekend report, I showed the action in 1987, for example, which was quite similar, though briefer, than what we've been doing for the last several months. Namely, you make a high and you drop, and then you go into this confusing back-and-forth fistfight, mm-hmm. uh, where it looks like every two weeks the, the longs are winning, the next two weeks the shorts are winning, but it really is going nowhere.
2: Mm-hmm. That
3: kind of deceptive action is not uncommon, and I do think it's deceptive, and I think the upside right now is deceptive, but I give it due respect. Uh, and I, There's a possibility, and I think that possibility is definable in the next two weeks. Uh, In other words, if the bulls want to take the S&P back to the high and make a new high, I think the door is open for them, but it's open about to the end of February. And beyond that, not. Uh, Mm. If they have not achieved that then, I don't think they're going to. And even if they have achieved it, I do not trust it. So Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. I'm saying the extreme violence in the three major asset categories is important. It cannot be ignored. It can't be said that oil is good for the economy and so forth, and you try to talk yourself into a positive view of these crashes, uh, remember in 29, the, the crash, the first six months off the August high of 29, the uh, Dow lowest weekly close versus the highest weekly close was 39% off the high. Well, the three categories I just defined have equaled or matched, the, uh, exceeded that. Oh, wow. So we've had that's 29 really- type crashes in three asset categories. That should not be ignored. Uh, and I yeah. think that's the, that's the theme I was, uh, was striking there.
2: Oh, that's remarkable, and uh, I think you—you know—you highlighted the last time we talked to you the rapidity with which these markets have crashed over such a short period of time. I mean, if you have a, a gradual over a couple of years instead of over a few weeks, uh, you have some time to adjust. The markets have uh-huh. some time to adjust. It's almost as if the markets have hit an air pocket, and uh-huh. there's just no support, as you say, almost uh, just without any support. It's very seems very anomalous. I mean, these are not these are not usual markets, are they?
3: No, this is – in 40 years, I've not seen – I've seen two asset categories at once go. In 2008, for example, late in 2008, commodities went with stocks to the downside. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the foreign exchange markets weren't really – nothing was going on there. The debt markets were steady uh, and so forth. So there wasn't the comparable events so Mm -hmm. widespread. Mm -hmm. And in 87, for example, it was strictly stocks. Uh, in 2000, 2002, it was stocks. Commodities were steadied up. So it was isolated. But now we have three of the four major ones collapsing in ways that, uh, and again, the speed is the issue, too, because it creates damage that people can't adjust for. I'm talking institutions. Sure. Uh, so the damage is far worse because of the speed. So I do not think uh, the equities will survive it. I think that uh, they can yawn and pretend and it looks good on the tape and so forth and so on, but it, it's, it ultimately will cave. That's my assessment.
2: Well, um, you also stated in your concluding remarks, you said there are two, there are now two essentials and only two Mm -hmm. to watch, and those are the S&P and gold. Why those two? Well gold see has not been that
3: violent. We did make new lows in gold after it collapsed in 2013-14. Uh it paid its dues a long time ago. Uh, sure. And gold to the world economy is not so severe as oil is in terms of its ramifications. So sure. gold paid its dues, built its base and then made a low in November at 11:40 uh, which was a level that we thought would be the low. And on the way back up MSA has advocated to investors who want to be in gold or gold related uh platforms to uh, build a position, not go fully 100% long, whatever they might otherwise wish to have, and wait for the final hurdle to be crossed. Well, that hurdle was touched, and I thought it would be resistance initially. It was a 1300 level, and we've now backed up uh, 70 bucks from that level. Uh, not too rapidly. It took two weeks to do it, so it wasn't like a, a sudden or, or dangerous. The, um, that pullback does not look malignant to me. It looks like it's setting structure. Uh, to define what I mean by that, if you see a price chart, for example, go to a given level a couple times, and then so you, you can draw a line across a, a set of highs, that's called structure building. And when you go through it, uh, you can mark the spot. Well, in the mm-hmm. case of gold, it's been doing it on my momentum work. And that 1300 um, is a level now in momentum that if you return there one more time, uh, most of my momentum indicators are going to really blow a hooli and uh, the longer term ones. And that's the point where... NSA will basically say 100% mm-hmm. bullish on gold. Right now, I'd call myself in the 70 75%. You should be long that much of whatever you want to have long, and you should. And some of that was put on at lot lower levels than this, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, now I watch gold because I do think it's inverse to the S and P now. There was mm-hmm. a time period where that was not the case. So I think if gold breaks through that 1300 in the coming months, uh, I'll bet the S and P is doing the opposite. And on the s and P, I I think it's quite simple now. Uh, I think the long-term momentum has done its damage, has rendered its uh, opinion about what the market is doing, and that is, it's topping. Mm-hmm. Price usually lags momentum. In other words, uh, mm-hmm. via momentum indicators, if you know how to plot them and, and use them, you'll usually see your turn there first. And then some short time period later, maybe a few months even, uh, you'll see price finally capitulate and join its momentum shadow, so to speak. I think you can basically take the price lows of the S and P for the last few months and believe them. If you break them, you're going down. And those lows have been probed into the 1990s, but never touched 1980 this year. Mm-hmm. Probed, I think, three times down into the 1980s without ever touching 1980. Uh, I think you can take the price chart as face value. If you break it, you're really going
2: down. Uh, issue, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because uh, you know you were saying that the price lags momentum and. Um, uh, you know, I was just seeing this is from a fundamental point of view. I was seeing a, a chart yesterday. I don't know if it was on Zero Hedge or where it was, but they were showing the uh, collectively the analyst projections for earnings uh, out for the next quarter, and there's a huge disconnect with where the price of uh, of the S and P is right now. Mm-hmm. So, from a fundamental point of view, it seems like it's falling in place with what you're saying potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would like to ask you also Michael about the dollar because the dollar used to be inverse to gold and more recently we're seeing the dollar and gold well the gold has backed off the last uh, few trading sessions or so but we've seen both of those currencies move higher against everything else uh, in the last mm-hmm. since about mid december any thoughts along those lines
3: yeah i I think that the correlation of the dollar to the gold is is uh, mistaken i think if gold is a, a currency which i uh, money is money that which i but do believe it is? It's not. It's not merely a commodity. Uh, that, in an effect, when you take the the two reserve currencies of the world and drop one of them off the page with the potential to go a lot further, that's the euro. That kind of volatility, violence, and so forth is destabilizing. It indicates there's something wrong. With the money units, the the two major money units, they're not properly priced. Uh, there's mm-hmm. some great mistake going on out there in these yardsticks that we call money, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore gold shines in that regard because it doesn't have that attribute. It has the staying power of value over history, and mm-hmm. suddenly then you have uh, people like Putin acquiring gold aggressively over the last nine months. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russians are now are the sixth largest holder of gold. The Chinese are buying. We can't quite you can't quite trace the quantities and so forth, but. Uh, it's alleged that it's substantial. Uh, And you have the Germans wanting to repatriate their gold from the Fed and from uh, Paris. Uh, Somebody's doing something for a reason.
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, exactly exactly right. And, you know, I was just just quoting the uh, finance minister of Greece here uh, in my introductory remarks, and he's talking about how uh, if you pull the Greek card away from the Euro, uh, it's, you know, the euro is a house of cards, and they're all going to come down. So are you suggesting that the euro has a ways further to go down from your technical uh, work? It,
3: it, just on a, like even on a price basis, if you just get a price chart of the euro, go back to its history, uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. 1990, uh, whatever, uh, you can see that what we just broke through uh, over the last few months is a mammoth topping process. And in no <laughs> manner has price or momentum reached levels that indicate satisfaction or a swing-measured move to the uh, to the downside having occurred. It looks like the breakout has just occurred. There's some mumbling around right now, and it wouldn't surprise me to see a minor rally or something, but I oh, wouldn't bet on it on the euro. The yen is the one I'd bet on having a better rally at some point. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does not look satisfied, and, and the fundamentals like you cite... Uh, I think the Greek card is, is, the, is the big card, and people who want to poo-poo it and say, well, it doesn't matter. Well, maybe Greece doesn't matter, but uh, there's movements in Portugal, Spain, and Italy that are very sympathetic to this Greece movement, and they're gaining popularity. Mm-hmm. And it, won't take, it won't take investors very long to make the connection that, ooh, who's next?
2: Right. Uh, oh, and, that's uh... Well, anyway, you know, the old saying that if you, if you owe the bank $1,000, uh, the bank has control, but if you owe them a billion dollars, you have control. And I think, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, these are very, very interesting times to say the least. Mike, we only have a couple of minutes left here. I uh, want to ask you about uh, something you wrote about in, in that same uh, February 8th missive a gold ruble. Uh, and you picked up on an article that I also read from the uh, Mises Institute uh, on uh, the possibility of Russia or the ruble being backed by gold. Could you comment on that just a little bit? Well, I know I'm it's not, not a, it's a fundamental these, point of view.
3: Yeah, I'm not an expert on these intricacies of, you know, how much gold do they have in relation to their currency, but I understand the relationship's pretty good with the uh, Russian ruble and the amount of gold they've got. But... Uh, I suspect there's some substance to that. I think the academic article in Mises was quite good making its points. That wasn't an issue that is, it's not just something that just came up. I noticed that Doug Casey, for example, back uh, in a Reason TV interview, I think last summer, uh, casually commented that he wouldn't be shocked in the next few years that that, that, the yuan, the Chinese yuan and the Russian ruble are gold-backed. And and now I think the evidence is mounting with the purchases that that Putin has made over the last subsequent nine months that something's going on um, uh, in that regard. Now, whether he converts it to, to gold, I, I don't know. But uh, you don't buy that much gold for nothing. And I think right. he wants to insulate... Uh, the country's not a debtor nation by any mm-hmm. standard.
2: Oh, that's uh, exactly right.
3: And and therefore, his, his position in terms of uh, state debt outstanding relative to GDP is uh, minuscule compared to ours, or the no, Italians that's... or the French, or whatever. Uh so he's actually in a better position in that regard, despite the low oil prices that are punishing him, uh, that to, to create ahead. a more stable ruble, despite the low oil prices, if you connect it to gold, that would tend to stabilize it. uh
2: Yeah, it's it's very interesting, and you know, Michael, the Soviet Union come down because of their their statism, their uh, their enormous indebtedness, and their lack of ability to you know to have a free market. Well, they didn't have a free market economy, and so they became so basically, um, it was a financial crisis, a financial demise. Essentially, they weren't defeated through a war or anything. Uh, and now, they uh, Russia itself is in good shape financially. Interesting, isn't it, how we keep hearing in the Western media about how how dire straits Russia's in, and yet they're importing huge amounts of gold. They're buying gold. So, mm-hmm. and and uh, and then uh, the concerns in the Western press about. Greece uh, sort of moving towards Russia. In fact, the new Greek uh, leader is uh, is suggesting that could be the case. You know, if if the, if he's not treated well enough. So these are really fantastically interesting times. And uh, you know, I just would like to say to our listeners, it's Oliver MSA. Oliver M is in Mary S is in Sam A is in Albert dot com. Oliver MSA Go there. We Michael writes about things. I mean, we didn't have time to talk about oil and natural gas, the risk on risk off trade very much. Copper. He's had some ideas on lumber. Uh, Michael does tremendous work. I think momentum, structural stuff that really makes a lot of sense to me. I don't fully understand how he does it, but I've seen it work very well. And he mentioned a little while ago about China. Well, Michael was the only guy I know that was saying, it's time to buy Chinese stocks. And boy, if you would listened to that, you'd made a lot of money last year. So I think uh, those of you who are serious investors might want to consider Michael's service. It's OliverMSA.com. Michael, I'm so glad you could be with us again. Lots more to talk to you about. I hope we can have you back on very soon again, possibly next Look week. Look forward to it, Jay.
3: Thank you very much. Thank,
2: thank you so much. Well, folks, don't go away because we're going to be right back with Richard Mayberry. And Richard has some ideas about how you can turn these this sort of bleak future that uh, we talk about so often here, how you can turn that to your advantage. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Richard Mayberry.
0: Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, all five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest, financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the tf and CTNXF on the OTC. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at dynacoregold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Richard Mayberry. For those of you who do not know Richard, he is the publisher of the U.S. and World Early Warning Report. It's called, uh, to be exact, Richard J. Mayberry's U.S. and World Early warning report uh... it is an excellent newsletter it's one of those that i look forward to uh... uh... you know and when i don't get it i start to have uh, i start to get shaky because i, I really enjoy richard's where i enjoy it and profit from it and uh... Uh, actually, uh, it was Ron Paul that told me years ago that uh, when he went back into Congress that he had uh, that he had uh, turned his letter over to Richard Maber, and I thought that was quite a compliment because I have such a high regard for Ron Paul, and he uh, obviously has for Richard, but for good reason because Richard is really puts together insights I think that are very unique and very prescient, and uh, so I'm really glad to have you with me again, Richard. Thanks for joining me today.
4: I always enjoy listening to you because you do such a great job of giving people a viewpoint that most people don't even know exists, they're never exposed to, and your emphasis on Austrian economics and all the related subjects to that is extremely valuable and it's extremely rare. Uh, and, and I, for one, thank you very much for that.
2: Well, I, think, I thank you, too, because I think what you bring into the uh, insights, uh, not only a, a sound understanding of, of Austrian economics, free market economics, but also uh, the moral issues that are attached to that, and, uh, and also history. You know, if there's anything we're not taught in school anymore, it's history. I mean, people don't even know what the Declaration of Independence is in American schools anymore, uh, and and so they have no idea about what our nation is about and, and why we were formed to start with. So I think you bring in you you bring in the relationship between free markets and and all these other topics and what America is all about, as well as anything else. I think you call yourself the uh, is it the two thousand year old man or is it the five thousand year old man?
4: Well, I've been called the twenty five hundred year old man because I I have a pretty good background in economic history back to the beginning of the Roman Empire, which is 2,500 years or so ago. And I like to relate things to uh, you know economic events that have happened over the centuries and show that there's not really a whole lot that's new. Um, governments keep making the same stupid mistakes. That's why... History repeats. Uh, that there's, there's a truth in that old saying. Yeah. It never repeats exactly, but it, as Mark Twain said, it rhymes. And uh, the rhyming is full of lessons that we can learn. And, and what they all basically come down to is history repeats because governments keep making the same stupid mistakes.
2: Yeah, nothing new under the sun. Even King Solomon uh, recognized that when he wrote the Ecclesiastes. I think it was uh, nothing new under the sun. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes because you know, having grown up uh, in the fifties as a young fella, mm-hmm. uh, and a grade school kid in the fifties, I remember what things were like, and they have changed a lot, haven't they, Richard? Since then, oh my gosh, have- it's it's amazing. But um,
4: and as you point out, one of the things that's changed the most is the people's appreciation for what america is really all about mm-hmm. um, the whole concept of, of liberty and free markets and all that we've gotten it's deteriorated so much that um... the word liberty is almost never heard anymore except no. by libertarians mm-hmm. and um... The, it's, it's used by um, news commentators and all as, as some old-fashioned term that doesn't have any applicability to, to today's world, and um, that's ridiculous, it's more important now than ever, it's the only thing that humans have ever been found to work well, and um, the, the population now is hardly aware of what it
2: is, they, most of them would not have a way to, um, to, define, to define what it is. Hmm. They couldn't define the word. Well, who was it back in the days of the revolution that said, give me liberty or give me death? That was Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry. And so I'm sure that's not something that they hear anymore uh, in the classrooms. Anyway, I'd like to get to your newsletter, your latest monthly letter, Richard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, really a subtitle on your letter is Adopting to and Profiting from the Collapse of the Federal Government's Empire, which is what I decided to name today's show because I think um, that you can help us uh, give, give our listeners at least a sense of the direction they might look to go to and then i would suggest to my listeners that they follow up by subscribing to richard's very inexpensive newsletter and i think richard i failed to jot down exactly your website what where can they go to get the um, information thank you it's uh, richardmayberry.com richardmayberry.com that's m a y b u r y .com mm-hmm. and, excellent that's easy uh, we've
4: enough we have got an 800 number too uh, which you might Okay want to to yeah love. please yeah go ahead five oh nine five four oh again that's eight hundred five oh nine five four
2: oh okay, well, I would suggest strongly that people check out uh, Richard's work and go to the go to the website uh, you can get some sense of what he's about there but I think more importantly what he's about to tell us now might also give you a good sense of what Richard's about well you know Richard it was sort of an amusing way and you you write in a very entertaining way it's easy to read it's fun to read uh, you talked about mother-in-laws to start this last uh, newsletter you know there's uh, even a song I remember in the 1960s perhaps about mother-in-law it's a big deal about mother-in-laws they have a sense of sticking their nose and other people's business. And, of course, a good deal of uh, uh, quite a few marriages probably have been broken because mother-in-law's metal and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I happen to be blessed with a good mother-in-law and my wife as well. So we we know we've had good experiences with mothers-in-law, but... That said, uh, you know there's a stigma attached to, to mother-in-laws, and you attach that stigma to the United States government. You're saying that many people around the world see the United States government as sort of a meddling mother-in-law, and yet, you know, when I turn on CNBC or Bloomberg or whatever. The sense that I get is that, wow, we're doing everybody a great favor by sending our bombers into countries and our our uh, our drones and so forth and getting rid of the bad guys and helping people understand how they can live a better life and we'll educate them and teach them what morality is and everything else. Why are you uh, suggesting that the United States is, is not that, uh, that, that that's the wrong picture about the United States?
4: Well, um, <laughs> where do you start? I guess, where do you start? <laughs> I mean... Um, I, I'll go back to my own personal history. The way, the way I got into this business really was when I was uh, I was drafted and I, I went into the Air Force and I wound up in a special operations squadron, and um, we were doing that kind of good work that you're describing that yes. pops up in the news media all the time and. What that meant was that we were, in one way or another, helping to subsidize these foreign dictators mm-hmm. uh, to keep them in power and um, to help them you know, massacre whoever was getting in their way. Right. And that was my job, was to be a specialist in training other government troops um, to put down the uprisings against them, because they were friends of Washington. And, you know, this is all portrayed in the news media. And <laughs> um, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, my God, you know, all the, the hundreds of thousands of innocent people have been killed from this. But yes. the, the lies themselves are a comical thing because um, they are. this is all portrayed as helping other countries. Well, it's not helping other countries. It's helping other governments to suppress their own people. And, um, you know, I, I spent uh, a year and a half in that squadron, and I don't know how many dictators that we helped, but they were really evil people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was very young. I was only 20, 21 years old. I didn't understand any of this at the time. Um, I just knew that when we went into these foreign countries to help these countries, the people there hated us. And I was wondering, you know, why do these people (laughs) hate us? Well, it's because we're supporting the dictator that's keeping them down. And um, it, it was, it's, you know, one of the most shameful episodes in my life, and my only defense for it is that I was stupid about geopolitics and didn't know really what I was being part of. I was just following orders. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I began to understand how much of a hoax all this is that yeah. the U.S. government has a world empire and it uses a lot of force. Um, to back the dictators that are part of that empire, and they hurt a lot of people, and that's the fundamental reason why Washington is so hated all over the world in so many places. Not necessarily by the governments, but by the people. Uh, right. And uh, you know, Americans are never told that difference. They just think, they're just taught to think in terms of other countries. And they think everybody in these countries thinks alike. They're all of right. the same mind. And they're not. They're individuals. They have their own opinions. And for the most part, they hate their governments. And Washington is subsidizing their governments. That's what foreign aid is.
2: Right. Well, so we, so we have uh, these individuals. But, I mean, we're an empire, as you, as you say. Mm-hmm. Empires, obviously, some people uh, in the United States, people in the Western world, are also profiting from. Uh, from this, or else they wouldn't be doing it, right? So, we have the sort of a what I view as sort of a fascist empire in a way large corporate interests that uh, get in bed with the government, get laws passed. The propaganda is sent out to us through CNBC and all the rest of the major networks. We're all propagandized into believing uh, exactly what I said my view is, or, or what I perceive to be uh, the propaganda from the main networks. So, mm-hmm. who's benefiting from this, though? There have to be some people. That are benefiting i mean we 're hearing more and more about how uh, corporations now are people under the law. they can go to Congress and with unlimited amounts of money, support these guys for re-election. and I mean what happened i mean is, isn 't there there is something here for us in it though too right for oh, yeah. uh, there 's certainly
4: a way to, to make money and, uh, you know one of the points I, I try to make frequently in the newsletter is that um, fundamentally every financial product in the world is crooked because uh-huh. the currencies are all crooked. Yeah. So no matter what you invest in, you know the bedrock of that investment, which is the currency, it's crooked. So you yeah. do not have a choice between investing in something that's honest or something is dishonest. All you have is a choice between investing in something that's dishonest that will earn money from it or dishonest and won't earn money from it. We'll take losses, uh, and and that's the only choice because the government, the federal government, has just wrecked the world monetary system so completely, yeah. starting back in nineteen seventy one. But uh, as far as um, let's see, oh yeah, you're asking, um, you know, about big corporations making money off of all yes. these things. Sure, there's a lot of of economic history on. Uh, on that, especially, uh, well, let's say, just say starting in Latin America um, with uh, United Fruit Company and all that. Um, those are sort of classic cases where some American company wanted to go into some foreign country and um, set up some sort of operation, you know, growing bananas or whatever. And um, the the U.S. government then would be called upon to install some... Friendly government to the our government that's friendly to United Fruit Company, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, the Marines would be sent in, and um, the, they would help establish a new political order that would be friendly to United Fruit Company. Um, um, there were the um, federal government either uh, directly changed or strongly influenced the change of governments in 41 cases in Latin America. Before wow, just the- in Latin America. Yeah, and that's just Latin America. But That was a pretty typical thing that the federal government did all over the world. My God, when they went into the Philippines, um, the U.S. Army killed something like 200,000 Filipinos in order to help U.S. companies get control of the Philippines. But Mm -hmm. but I I need to to focus on that particular part, the money-making part of it, because I don't think it's really the main driving factor. In every one of those cases where some corporation tried to get Washington to help it get established in another country, that corporation was only able to do it because there were power seekers in Washington who knew that they would acquire more power by doing it, and I think that's the main driving force is this joy of using power on other people, helpless people, and I think that's what's driven a whole lot of what Washington has done around the world for 200 years. The, wow, the joy
2: of, of controlling other people. What's that? The joy of controlling other people, dominating yeah. and controlling and, and lording it over them. That's right. the thrill of power. Uh,
4: Americans don't like to think about that that their politicians are driven by a lust for power just like politicians in other countries. Well no, that's, that's only are. Putin
2: that's still driven, driven by this kind of thirst for power. Uh, Putin you say? Yeah, it's only Putin. <laughs> we don't do that. That's the Putin that does <laughs> right. that stuff. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, that,
4: it's only those bad guys over there that have a lust right. for power.
2: No, but you know, Richard, uh, there was, I don't know if you, you've come across the name of Edward Bernays or not, but I, you, you mentioned the United Fruit Company, and that, uh, you know, the first time I come across, I came across his name recently, and he apparently engaged in it, was paid by United Fruit Company uh, to help propagandize the efforts that you were just speaking of, mm-hmm. to get the American people on side of sending the Marines down there and putting a government in place that would uh, allow United Fruit Brands to get rich.
4: Yeah, There's a um, there was a a general named Smedley Butler, a Marine general, and Smedley Butler was uh, he was a it was the equivalent of a a two time winner of the Congressional Medal of Honor, as well as being a general in the Marines, and he was in I think it was 121 battles, in in almost all of them were simply about. Um, getting the Marines in some place to set up some sort of new government in that area and when Smedley Butler got out of the Marines he began to look at the history of all of this and see what he was actually doing when he was in the Marines because he never paid any attention to the politics of it mm-hmm. he just followed orders and he was absolutely appalled and he made some speeches, and uh, there are some books around um, that he wrote. Uh, again, his name is Smedley Butler. Mm-hmm. Camp Butler in Okinawa is named after him. And um, and yet the lessons that Smedley Butler tried to teach just disappeared. And yeah. I bet you you won't find one in a thousand Marines that actually know who he was or what he tried to um, publicized that right. this, this is incredibly stupid, this huge empire that they were building.
2: Hmm. Well, it's, this, it's a commentary, but you know, one thing you just said, Richard, you helped answer one of the many questions that we're not going to get to today that I have for you. One of those questions had to do with how can you, uh, how can you propose your subscribers buy defense stocks uh, when those companies are out there killing people? And uh, here's, here's what I've done. I actually took your advice. I suggested in my own newsletter that people put a, a portion of their uh, of their portfolio into several defense stocks, some of those you named in your newsletter. Uh, and then I suggested if you're, if you really feel badly about profits you make from it, send those profits or a portion of them to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity to help support that organization that can help – let people know the evils that are going on because daniel mcadams does a remarkable job there he was ron paul's assistant when ron was in congress and i have daniel on a podcast weekly to talk about some of the things he's very much down in the weeds about you know in terms of what the details are what's going on what we're doing in the ukraine what the united states is doing all over, around the world but especially in the middle east and, and that part of the world mm-hmm. so uh, you know i but now I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying there's no way you can escape being part of this evil empire in a sense. This this, right. this, this bloodthirsty exactly right. empire that kills hundreds of thousands and millions of people uh, just for the sheer, you say, primarily motivated by power, but also by, I'm, I'm sure, by corporate interest. So take a – since you can't escape it, we all pay taxes or we go to jail. That's mm-hmm. supporting the empire, right? All this mm-hmm. – uh, status stuff. So you yep. may as well take the profits from it and and then do good with it. That's kind of the way I've looked at it.
4: Yeah, fine. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful point of view. I, I like it a lot. And it's and what, what people don't understand is that a lot of the things that look horribly uh, dishonest aren't as dishonest as the ones who that look like they might be okay. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, you might think that well. I'm not going to invest in defense stocks. I'm going to invest in treasury bills. What could be more uh, harmless than that? Well, (laughs) those treasury bills help finance the wars. Absolutely, it's like just handing money straight to the government and and saying, take this out and go kill anybody you want with it. Buy whatever you want to kill." At least with with your buying when you're buying a a defense stock. you are, in some way, probably providing some weapons to people who really do deserve them, really do need them for defense. And, and the U.S. does, too. I'm not, I'm not saying this is not a dangerous world. It most definitely is, and the U.S. does need defenses, and so the things put out by these companies are important to us for honorable purposes. Um, Unfortunately, they're also sold to people who aren't so honorable. Uh, But this idea that you're going to invest in something that's not tangled up in the corruption of this empire, good luck. If you can find something, something, please let me know. I'd like to, to hear about it. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I hear what you're saying, and uh, unfortunately, my engineer is telling me we only have a minute left, and there's so much more to talk to you about. You know, you you are very much in favor of, uh, and maybe we have you back sometime soon, but you're very much in favor of commodities, precious metals, as we mentioned, defense stocks. Some other things I wanted to ask you about, the S&P case Schiller, 20-City Residential mm-hmm. Real Estate Index and the Collector Coin Index, we'll have to ask you about that some other time if we can have you back sometime okay. soon. But you have so much more to talk about uh, what's going on in in Beijing and Russia and so forth these are things folks you can get from Richard's newsletter really I'm I'm suggesting it's very very important sign up for Richard's newsletter Richard Mayberry's early warning report and it's richardmayberry.com I think you said that's right And just go there, folks. We're out of time. Uh, Richard, we want to have you back very soon if we can to talk more about some of the other things you talk about in your newsletter if you're amenable to it. Sure, yeah. I'd
4: uh, love to do it. And uh, again, Jay, you're doing a great job and I'm, you know, I'm Electronically patting you on the back here for doing
2: okay, thank you very much richard that 's a compliment coming from you that 's for sure. <laughs> I do have to tell our listeners that 's all the time we have for now. Next week, Stephen Harner, who writes for Forbes magazine and he 's really very much involved, understands what 's going on uh, in the geopolitics of uh, Asia russia and china very much appalled by what he sees the united states doing uh, not allowing china to patrol their their own sea lanes i mean how does that make any sense well it does make some sense given what richard just told us also next week i'm going to be talking to the ceo of copper bank that's a company that is involved in investing and funding low-cost copper mining projects so it should be a very interesting show uh thanks to each of you for listening thanks to tacy trump my producer matt weidner my engineer again until next week goodbye and god's blessings to you
0: Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI 43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the the first quarter of 2015. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns. Period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacore Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real
4: shareholder value. Learn more at dynacorgold.com or follow us on Twitter at dynacorgold.